Welcome. I'm so glad that you've joined us today. Today is the last weekend of the school holidays, so to all our school teachers, a part of the life of our church, we trust you've had a refreshing break. And I know that many of you took the opportunity over these holidays to get away and spend time with family or with friends, and we trust that it's been a good break for you as well. Well, being a new term, everything kicks back in this week. For our children's ministry, Precious Pebbles and Kids Church, that will resume online this coming Sunday. For our Sunday morning youth program, your youth at home boxes have now been delivered, as well as information about the Friday gatherings. Starting on Wednesday, the 29th of July, is our Life in the Spirit course. It goes for nine weeks and it involves both online content as well as a physical gathering at Klein's Road. Numbers are limited and so you will need to register and do so by Friday the 24th of July. And you can do that either online or by contacting the church office. Over the last three years, we've had nearly 200 people do the Life in the Spirit course. And I know it's been a blessing to every one of them. It is designed to assist us, to equip us in actually walking closely in step with God's Holy Spirit. And it does so by providing a solid biblical foundation as well as practical applications of of how to do that, of who God's Spirit is and his work in our lives. And we would love for you to join us over these nine weeks. Well, today we continue our preaching series on living a different story and living a different story, particularly in response to the significant impact that the coronavirus has had on our world. Today, we welcome Marwen Diaz from Baptist World Aid, and he will speak to us how to live in a way that is generous and loving towards the most vulnerable in our world. Parramatta Parramatta Baptist has had a long uh, relationship with Baptist World Aid, and we commend them to you. Now, before I hand over to Daniel, who will lead us in a time of worship, I just want to read from Israel's songbook, and particularly from Psalm 145. And it says this, David writes, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. And so, Father, as we worship you now, we declare that in a world that is constantly changing, that you are unchanging. Your greatness and your compassion for all people and your goodness toward all has remained and has been forever and will ever always be. And so, Father, we come before you and we lift our eyes and we lift our hearts to you and we declare that you are our King, that you are our great God. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for our young adults at PBC. 
I pray for them as they undertake their tertiary education, be it at uni, college, TAFE, apprenticeships, traineeships, cadetships, or any other ships, Lord. I pray that you would pour out your blessing on them, filling them to overflowing with the joy and peace that can only come from you. I pray that the people in their classes and workplaces would just be drawn to them because of their saltiness and because of the brightness of your light in them. I pray that you would fill them with boldness to share the good news, Lord. And I pray that you would go before them just to prepare the hearts of the people that would hear so that they might join in worshipping you. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you for the many opportunities there are to be salt and light as a parent. There are so many people that we meet because of our children, through mothers' groups, playtime, at the school gate, through kids' sports and activities, through hanging out at kids' parties and forming friendships with the parents of your children's friends, as well as those random encounters at playgrounds and the shops. We pray that you will use us in each of these situations. Help us to show love and compassion. Help us to listen intently and help us to be carriers of your peace and your hope. And Lord, we pray that you'll be working in the lives of the other parents we meet, that they will be open to you. As a parent, there is both the joy and wonder of new life and seeing things through a child's eyes. And there is also the challenges, the tiredness, and the stress of managing multiple demands. And this helps us to see our need for you. Lord, may you use both of these experiences of parenting to draw people to you and to give us openings for meaningful conversation. And Lord, we pray that we will be your salt and light with our own children, that we will love them in the way that you want us to, and that we will be bold in the way that we pray for them and share your word with them, Lord. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to bring before you all the schools We pray that you will guide the Christians within these communities to seek to be salt and light. May they show your unconditional love and by doing so spread your name. We ask that you would make the people of peace in these places known to us and give us the courage to come alongside them in order to guide and support them as they discover what a relationship is like with you. And God, we know that it is is sometimes really hard to share our faith when we are around others who don't have this same faith. We ask for your strength during these difficult times so that we don't become discouraged, but instead persevere and remember that as Christians, you call us to make disciples of all nations. Amen. So our reading today is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, 
so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Hello, my brothers and sisters at Paramount Baptist Church. My name is Marvin Diaz, or Marbs, and I'm the Church Relationship Manager for Baptist World Aid here in New South Wales. Thank you for having me, and thank you for inviting me to be part of your series. I've been following this series, and it's been such an encouraging um, journey and story um, thus far as we figure out a different kind of story that we are supposed to be living as followers of Jesus. Um, but before um, I go into the sermon, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your partnership. Um, last year, we celebrated 60 years as Baptist World Aid. And we can only exist uh, all this time because of the goodness of God, but also the faithfulness of our Baptist churches. In the last 10 years alone, I know you as a church have raised over $400,000. $400,000. I hope that is encouraging to you. Uh, in May and June, actually, as we raised awareness in Baptist World Aid about the um, uh, communities in extreme poverty, you as a church rallied together in prayer, but also in financial support, and you have raised 35000 around $35,000. Um, and that uh, support will go to those communities, and especially to our partners, our brothers and sisters who are there um, in those communities and serving those communities. So um, I, I, I just wanted to show this video. The, we created this video last year um, to honor our churches. And I hope you truly are encouraged as you watch it. God bless you. I must confess uh, that even though I am passionate about God's love and justice and goodness now, I was, a, I was slow in understanding those concepts. Um, and I say slow because I, I was raised as a follower of Jesus by my mom, my faithful mom, uh, but also because I grew up in the context of poverty. Um, I grew up in the first 10 years of my life in a place in Cebu City, and it was a red light district. Now, I didn't know it was a red light district at a at the time, it wasn't until I was a teenager when my mom brought me back that I realized it was a red light district. Now, I say I was slow uh, at understanding it because when I first saw it as a follower of Jesus, my first reaction wasn't, oh, 
God loves these people. My first reaction was judgment. Who are these dirty people dirtying up my childhood home? I remember saying that. Now what was going on in my heart? What was going on in my discipleship? Well, this is what I heard anyway uh, as as a follower of Jesus back in those days and, and probably the way I've warped it. God loves me. God has a plan for me. He wants me to be with Him in heaven. And so I grabbed that blanket of love by, and I wrapped it around myself only. Now, if I'm feeling a bit generous, I'll extend that to my family members. If I'm feeling a little bit more generous or want to look generous, I extend it to my church members, well, the ones that I like anyway. And I created this barrier, this boundary, this wall of who, who can have my idea of love and who does not have it. The sinners, the, the dirty people dirtying up my childhood home. This is what I think Jesus was addressing in the rich man, a parable of rich man and Lazarus. It's not about it's not a description about what heaven and hell looks like, but more about what heavenly living looks like and what hell-ish living looks like. You see, Jesus was addressing a sin of omission, a sin of inaction. It wasn't that the Pharisees or the religious leaders at the time, or in the story, the rich man robbed or beat Lazarus or kicked him out of his home. But Jesus was pointing to was their lack of of action, their inaction, their sins of omission in creating this boundary, this rhythm, this life around them that's only a rhythm of love only for themselves and not for others, they have committed sins of omission. Now we get this um, context when you go a, uh, a chapter before. In chapter 15, you see that the religious leaders um, are 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 making an accusation towards Jesus in the start of chapter 15. They say, Jesus, why do you welcome, why do you eat? And in other places, why do you eat and drink with them? Are you a drunkard and a glutton? Why do you welcome them, Jesus? We question your rhythms. Why do you welcome them? And then Jesus responds with three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Now, I don't have time to unpack this parables, but basically what do you... What he wanted to highlight and what I want to highlight is that at the end of each parable, they are rejoicing. They are rejoicing. So why are my rhythms like this? Jesus says, why are my rhythms like this? Well, it reflects the Father's rhythm, which is a posture to rejoice at the lost coming home, at the lost being redeemed and restored. That's why my rhythms are like this. But Jesus doesn't stop there. We get to chapter 16. He turns it around. He says, I question you on your rhythms on your love for money. And in verse 15, he goes even deeper than the rhythms and gets to the heart. He says, I question you on your heart. In verse 15, he says, uh, you, you justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. And so through this parable, Jesus is, is somewhat pulling this eternal curtain and he's saying, have a look at your eternal hearts in the way you are operating in this world. Have a look at the state of your eternal hearts in the way you are committing sins of inaction, sins of omission. And so I want to point you to two things that I think Jesus points to. The first one is it points to the selective seeing. In the parable, you get to see that the rich man, at least he saw himself as this person who is deserving of luxury, living in luxury every day. 
Meanwhile, Lazarus was starving to death. The rich man having um, was wearing fine linen and purple, so either he was royalty or he saw himself as royalty. Meanwhile, Lazarus was covered in sores. That's what he was wearing. And the only compassion he received was getting uh, was the dog the dogs licking his sores on his body. Suddenly there is this reversal and we get an insight into what's going on and we get an insight into the way the rich man saw. You see, he saw himself as someone who is living in luxury every day, something who is deserving of living in luxury every day. And now he's seeing himself in this situation. He's having pity on himself. And so he says, Father, send. Father, can you send Lazarus to me? Send him as if he is a slave, as if, as if he was a servant or someone who is lower caste than him. He saw him as that person that he could just order around. Now, the, now remember, Lazarus was by the rich man's gate. That's where he died. Um, but not everyone had fences or gates back then, as we do today. We're thinking, you know, our fences and our gates in a Western context. But back then, and in many places around the world, not everyone had fences or gates. Only communities, many different families of many different homes who pull their money together would build a massive fence around their homes. And at the front, they would leave, leave an opening, a gate. They can see who, they could see who goes in, who goes out. They can keep the foxes and the predators out. They can keep their animals and their, and their family inside and safe. Now, the, the rich man, this was his fence, so he didn't need the rest of the community. He funded it himself. And because of that, he being the most prominent person in the community, he would have been part of the eldership system in that community. And so what the elders did was discuss the well-being of the community. If there was hardship, if there was good times, there was uh, famine, if there was a great harvest, they would the, the, the eldership would come together and they would discuss the well-being, the shalom of the community. Now, guess where they met? By the gate. As they discussed the, their community's well-being and shalom, there lied Lazarus by the gate, dying. They could not see him. They could not see him made in the image of God. All they could see was someone who was a sinner, who was dirty and not deserving. He might as well have been a nail to that post because they could not see him. This is the power of labeling somebody. When you label them unworthy. Now, there is actually a, a spiritual dynamic going on here. As you label them, you're actually also labeling yourself. When you say someone is unworthy, you are in some way saying, I am worthy. When you say someone is dirty, you're saying, I am clean. When you say someone is unholy or a sinner, you're saying, I am holy. And there is this divide, this chasm that is set in place by the decisions, by the rhythms, by the way you see people. This is what I was doing when I called them <clears throat> dirty people dirtying up my childhood home. I remember um, at a certain time of the night, benches would come out. <clears throat> and on the bench, there would be five, seven women. Uh, they're they're the, the sex workers, the prostitutes there. And every 10, 15 meters, there will be another one, and then another one, and then another one. And there would be more on the other side of the street. The signal was at a certain time of the night that the car would come, flash its high up, uh, flash its high beam, and leave it there, and then slow down. This is the signal. The one of the women would now, uh, the the ladies would now get up one at a time, get in front of the car, do a little twirl, 
do a little dance. Meanwhile, the driver or the passengers in the car are going, not that one, next one, not that one, next one, not that one, next one. As if they were just items in this vending machine that they're picking. This is the power when you label somebody. You don't see them anymore. You label them as a item to be consumed and I am the consumer. This is what I was doing when I was looking at these people dirtying up my childhood home. What is the good news, however? Well, it's that Jesus sees. He truly sees. Who is named in this parable? Lazarus. Jesus intimately names Lazarus in the story. What's the rich man's name? We just don't know. We're not told. Because Jesus wanted to emphasize that the Lazaruses of this world, the ones who who think they're not seen anymore, um, that Jesus sees them and knows their name. So for those of you who feel like you're so isolated, you feel like God has forgotten your name and your address, good news for you is that Jesus sees you. And part of Jesus' ministry, actually, in a nutshell, was ripping people's labels off their foreheads, including the Pharisees, and saying, this is not who you are. I see you as the Father sees you. And I'm here postured to rejoice, to welcome you home. What beautiful news. Secondly, um, as Jesus points to their selective seeing, Jesus points to their selective hearing. You see that in this parable, the rich man starts to comprehend his situation. And he starts to say, oh... (coughs) Father Abraham, can you send, there he goes again, can you send Lazarus to my family? Because I have five brothers in that village. I have five brothers. I don't want them to come to this place. Can you send Lazarus so they won't come to this place? He says something interesting, Father Abraham. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He goes, no, 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 Father Abraham. If someone from the dead rises and goes back to them, they will repent. Father Abraham says it again, but in a different way and in a more confronting way. He says, if they do not listen, listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the grave, even if someone resurrects, hint, hint, Jesus. What was Jesus saying in this parable? Jesus is saying, Moses and the prophets is like, is the foundation of our society, foundation of God's people. The reason why you have justice, the reason why you have goodness, the reason why we have compassion, because it's founded on Moses and the prophets. And what are Moses and the prophets? Well, Moses is the law, right? The Torah, the law. And in a nutshell, as Jesus summarizes it, the, the, the law is about love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Love God, love people. In a word, love. This is the foundation. This is the covenant of love. This is who you are as a people. That's why there's justice. That's why there's goodness. And the prophets are about steering you back to this. When you've lost your way, the prophets, that's why sometimes they sound angry, they're steering you back to this place. And so Moses and the prophets have been calling out, Love! 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 But if you have not been hearing it, if you have not been listening to it that means you have conditioned the way you hear now just in case you think I'm making this up these are some select passages in in the Old Testament in Moses and the Prophets 
If you have conditioned the way you hear, so much so, you have only talked about the covenant of love or love just within those who have you've, you've deemed who are worthy, who are in, not for the not for the orphans or the widows, the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor, the foreigners, the refugees, none of that, only for me, then you have blocked your ears in hearing. And in fact, you can block your ears so much so, as verse 31 says, as Father Abraham says, you can block your ears so much so from Moses and the prophets and their commandments of love that you can block your ears from Jesus himself, from the voice of the resurrected one, the one who comes back from the grave, the voice of King Jesus himself. I don't know about you, but that was confronting, confronting when I first heard that. What's the good news? The good news is that God hears the cries of His people and He acts. Jesus hears the cries of the people and He has compassion. That's why He has placed Himself where the most vulnerable are, where the most marginalized are, where the sinners are, because He wants them to know that their voice counts and that He is listening. Isn't it beautiful that the model that Jesus shows us is not a, a model of acting on be, uh, acting just telling people what to do, but a model that listens first, ba- builds a foundation of listening first, and then from there, acting. That's you know, I, I, I'm I'm halfway through a counseling masters, and one of the things that I've really learned is the gift of true listening and that transformation that can come from true listening. That's why when we go to the countries that we're serving in, the places and communities that are in extreme poverty, we're not going there going, hey, I know what you need. Uh, This is a solution for your community. No, we go there and we ask, what is it that you need help with the most? Because we know from the foundation of listening and hearing, we are able and we are best able to hear from them. They can see the uh, well they know the situations in the community and on this platform they are able to speak on behalf of their community they can raise their own voices they can spot what's going on in their community because god is already at work in their community how beautiful is that an example of that is in this community in bangladesh um it's a a community that we work in because when you uh, and it's a child sponsorship program you see, when you sponsor a child, you're not sponsoring one to one child, but one to an entire community because we want the whole community to have access to this help. When we ask them, what is it that you need help in this community um, through drawings, through conversations, when they knew that we were safe, we, when they knew we were truly listening, uh, they said, you know what we need help in? We need help in fighting forced marriage. Fighting forced marriage because Bangladesh over 50% of children and youth are being forced into child marriage as young as 10, 11, 12, 13. They're thinking that it will get their children out of poverty by marrying them off, but in fact it cycles them down deeper into poverty. And so we help them on the foundation of listening to them. We help them um, identify who are the people. So they say, I think it's that people. I think they're doing it in this community. And who are the who are the who are the people that you need to be lis- the, to be listening to you? We need the government's assistance. We need the local leaders' assistance. So we help build them. Our action is based on the listening platform. 
I wonder how our listening is today and how our rhythms are. Have we created a barrier, a barrier or an echo chamber of just listening to our own voice and to the voices that we want to hear? To, to hear? Or are we truly listening to what's going on in the world and listening to what Jesus wants us to do? Let me close off with this story. As a way to try to have this rhythm in the in our family's life. I have three kids. Um, we we me and my wife decided that we would do this practice where we take our kids before they go into kindergarten, before they spend thirteen plus years in education, in all these good things, but for themselves. We want to make sure that we align that somehow. So it's kind of like a rite of passage. I take my kids one at a time, and I've done all three of them now. But when I first took my, my eldest five years ago, um, I remember taking him in two, two and a half weeks to all the communities that we were partnering with, that we were working with, and, and brothers and sisters that we were working with in peacemaking work, in, in our community development work, in missional work. And so he got to see all these things. At the end of the two and a half weeks, we were having this debrief process. And so my um, facilitator said, all right, you're going to summarize your experience now uh, for the adults because he was part of a bigger team. And so I thought, maybe my son could do this as well. So I asked him, um, baby, come here. Uh, I knew a sentence or a paragraph was too long. So I said, can you think of a word that would summarize what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced that you want to share back in Australia? And so he said, okay, Dad, I'll try. I didn't think he would do it. He went away. 10, 15 minutes later, I get a tug on my shirt he looks up at me and he says, Dad, I have my word. And at this point, I was like, oh, a little bit worried. Did he write trauma or, or yucky, ugly place? This is what he wrote. <clears throat> For those of you who can't see it, it says love. So even though I took him to pretty hard places, as kid-appropriate as I could do it, even though I took him to communities that were built on cemeteries and places that were in extreme poverty what he saw what he heard instead were the people of god acting in love listening seeing engaging rejoicing what a beautiful lesson that he got to learn my encouragement for you Parramatta baptist church is that as you reset in your rhythms in some way that you, you are reflecting on how you are seeing the world and the labels that we put and how we're hearing. So I'm going to spend some time praying um, right now and I, I hope that's okay with you. And I'm just going to pray for our eyes the way we see and if you feel um, like you want to join, then put your eye, if you feel like God is challenging you with the way you see, then just have your hands on your eyes. Um, I'm going to pray for our ears. I'm going to pray for our hearts as well for those of you who don't know what this experience of love looks like for some of us, um, but also for those of you who feel like you do get this and, and want to be led by God, just have your hands open and I will pray for you as well. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, um, for who you are and the way you see the world. I just pray, Lord, that you will transform the way we see our eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray you will give us the Father's eyes in how he sees the world lovingly and created in his image help us lord to see the way you see and not create barriers and labels and things help us lord to see how we see ourselves and how we justify our actions so that we don't 
um, we don't act on behalf of the poor and the marginalized. I pray, Father, that you will uh, also um, transform the way we hear. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to hear your voice first and foremost. And I pray, Lord God, that you will develop skills in us in the way we listen so that we can um, offer our ears as a gift to this world, um, not in an arrogant way, Lord, but in a humble way, in a way because we care about them and we value who they are made in your image. I pray, Lord, for our hearts, especially, Lord, for those of us who are wondering what this unconditional love looks like. I pray, Father, that you would just pour out your uh, your love right now to them, that they will experience you in a tangible way today and this week. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just show them the love of the Father in a way they have never experienced before. And finally, Father, for those of us who understand and know and love all these already, um, but don't know the direction you want us to go, we just open up our hands. Father, I pray that you will lead us into your mission, to where you want us to be, not where we want to be, where you want us to be, where you are already at work. Even just give us the first steps, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for your love, and we thank you that we have Jesus to push us towards um, the right direction. I pray that you will continue to reveal yourself to us this week, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Paramount Baptist Church, and God bless you.
Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Marbs. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Remember, if you would like to watch Church Online with a community of people, we have now commenced gatherings at our Northmead campus, and you'd be welcome to join us. Numbers are limited, and we do require you to pre-register in advance. And you can do that either online or by contacting the church office. And remember, if you'd like to know about what's happening in the life of Parramatta Baptist Church, Uh, then get in touch with us, email us, and we will hook you into our e-newsletter, which comes out every week. Thank you so much again. Bless you. And now I'm recording. Okay. Let's pray. Pray as well that I've lost my train of thought. Ah! (laughs) It's so much harder when you're up here. 100%. Oh, my goodness. This is very true. I maybe should have written it down. We all know. We we all get you, bro. We all get you, (laughs) Okay, let me get it back in my head. Young people, the places, people will be drawn to them, that they would be bold. Okay, let's pray. 